This is an RNZ podcast. They say it takes a village to raise a child. I'm Catherine Ryan, and here we draw on my conversations with experts on Nine to Noon to help you navigate family life. Well, as many parents know, getting an unmotivated teenage son moving can be akin to moving a mountain. If he doesn't want to get off the couch, it's hard to make him. Maggie Dent has some experience with this. She's the mother of four boys and a former teacher and counsellor who's become one of Australia's foremost parenting experts at a self-described boy champion. We spoke to Maggie last year when her first, or latest book rather, From Boys to Men was published. Maggie's also the host of the ABC podcast Parental As Anything. Hi, Maggie. Hi, Catherine. That podcast title still makes me laugh. Uh, let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about your process for unsticking, which is the term you use for an unmotivated son. What does it look like? Yeah, yeah. Well, we're, we're different ages, Catherine. That's the first thing that we know that. Um, biologically and lots of other reasons boys and men tend to need external experiences with which they give themselves self-worth so a lot of the things that they start looking at particularly on the team journey is like what's in it for me and is this going to make me look good so of course (laughs) we can have problems in school in that area because they think oh why would I need to learn you know that that's not going to make my life better but when we get out the other end you know, and we're talking at transitioning from school if they're still there, but 17, 18, you know, we we really would have thought, hey, look, they're fine now. But that brain is still a really long way from completing. And it's the executive functions at the front of our brain that helps us get organized, plan for the future and motivate ourselves. So I just wanted to put some of the reasons underneath that... Um, And, of course, it can happen to girls, but there are some really big reasons why this is happening, Um, and probably more so now. All right. So it's not that they're, as always, it's not that they're deliberately trying to make life difficult. There are forces at play. Uh, Yeah, that's exactly what we need to get started with. Yeah. 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 So... Okay. So let me dive in. Um, Oh, if it's all right, I'll go to what what is motivation? So motivation is... It's kind of having a, an internal um, drive rather than external. And I'm a little bit worried that today's children have been given so many stickers and certificates and prizes, <laughs> hoping to motivate them, but that's external. So that's one of my challenges that we have, you know, for today's generation particularly. So the three main things, and this will explain why our boys are so motivated around gaming and some of them who are really good at sport, motivated around sport or whatever they're doing, is three Cs, control, competence and connection. So in other words, they need to have some control or autonomy in whatever they're doing. So we can't force a boy to get off that couch. Um, That's why we've got to find ways to do that. The second one, we've got to find something he's good at that makes him feel good about himself. So quite often that 18-year-old boy has just decided I didn't do very well at school and, you know, I can't do that and I'll get yelled at because I forget to put the milk back in the fridge. And, like, they can get drowned in the negative kind of bias around um, being 18 but being a boy particularly. And then the last one is that connection is um, when we have people who genuinely stand beside us um, and hold a light for us and love us even when we do all those things I've just mentioned, it does give us a much better chance to get some motivation happening again. 
All right. What do you do to foster internal motivation? Okay. Um, the key one there, um, if we go around to what can they do really well, and this is a really big challenge, anyone raising boys, um, is that we really need to not do too many things for them on this journey, particularly around home, not do their homework, you know, ensure they, you know, are taking responsibility for things like putting their washing where they need to learn to do some things because even though they don't seem like big things, Catherine, that's actually me taking care of myself. In other words, I'm not useless. Second one is positive noticing. Please notice when your boy does do something. <laughs> Might not happen every day. But when they actually hear an acknowledgement, gee, yeah, I did do that, we are building that internal locus of control. And so building those things gradually is, is incredibly important. And I, another really big one is, I like the use of metaphors around boys. They seem to get them a bit better. So you might be able to sort of talk to them about that the map that they're running their life with at the moment doesn't seem to be working. And maybe together we can work out a new map that gives you a chance of you seeing I can do things that I can gradually do more things. So a very gradual plan is incredibly important. Just one tiny step at a time and I know that's hard because parents just want to get them off that couch get a job get moving but too big a leap can actually paralyze them even more so it's very small steps of all those three c's the metaphors are more visual of course than normal words uh, and too much yeah, wordiness absolutely. does not work with boys yeah. I'm curious no, no, too many yeah. yeah I'm curious when you talk about what they can do well because we're talking about different things here we could be talking about uh, doing some of that drudgery, whether it's the homework yeah. or whether it's doing something around the house, are we better to try and foster that by looking to find things that they genuinely love and are interested in and using that as like a lever into motivation? Does that make sense? Should we be active, actively well looking done. for stuff they love to do? <laughs> yeah, well done. So one of the ways that we do... Uh, encourage families if you've got a boy who's a serious gamer who's just not going anywhere and not doing anything then what I do is whoever the key you know the big person in their life they're most connected to and there's no judgment whether that's and quite often it's not a parent it might be a an extended family member it might be a neighbor it might be somebody else who who's kind of gets that boy then we want them to connect with them where they're really doing well and maybe that means I sit down and watch them you know, do something that's gaming-wise. So I can see them in their, in that motivated state. And when they're in that highly motivated state, we can actually start feeding that self-worth barometer a bit, going, wow, that's amazing. Look how fast you did that. Um, and then when, you know, we can take that experience of connection and go, man, where can we find something in the real world that gives you this buzz? You know, what sorts of things might you be really good at? Are you into coding? Are you into, you know, I reckon you've got a really, because also there's, they're not just, you know, doing zombie games on there. They're actually, a lot of them are quite creative, especially things like Minecraft. So we can actually feed their possibility through their key thing that they're passionate about. And it can be the same with sport. If they're really mad keen on sport, you know, there are some focuses and goal setting strategy that we can identify for them that they can transfer into a real life situation. 
all of us are more motivated full stop and we're better at goal setting, goal setting and we're better at persevering when we're doing something we enjoy. What you're saying is if you use something they enjoy, you're exercising a muscle and you're exercising a reward system and then you look to transfer it to the less pleasurable things. That's exactly right. And then as they're, if they're around 18, Catherine, one of my key, um, you know, what can I give you a new skill that's not too big a leap? Because remember, as soon as a boy thinks, nah, I can't do that, I'm going to fail, I'm going to look stupid, they just sabotage themselves. And also procrastination is another sign of sabotaging themselves because it just says, oh, I just put it off, put it off. And then I could also put off succeeding, but what I'm mainly putting off is failing. Um, and that is do something like um, get them to learn how to do CPR, um, give them a one-day barista course. In other words, something that's a little bit kind of out, out of the box, but oh my goodness, when they know they can save a life or make a good coffee and it's just a short-term thing and there's no test, you know, major exam, you, you already start feeding into the self-worth barometer that motivates them to go, wow, I really enjoyed that or they will tell others. So you can see you start shifting the inertia because that's what, you know, that's what that couch situation is. I'm frozen with inertia. So to unfreeze it, we, we do small steps. And sometimes I know some boys have been able to go to a family friend that had a farm just for a week to help out because they needed help. And just being able to help out, you know, chase sheep, do whatever, that was the motivation that when they came home, they were in a very different space. So it's it's getting that inertia moving. Because a great point. Though in their heart of hearts, they want to be useful. They want to be helpful. They want to uh, have yeah. value in a practical way, but they shy away from failure situations. So you're, you're looking for success yeah. situations, again, for them to experience those feelings. Um, and then you push home. I mean, you say that was really helpful. It's made a huge difference. You did that really well. You know, you got us home all safely, whatever. I'm curious about the other thing you raised. There are two assessments. If I heard them correctly, is what's in it for me and then what am I going to look like, or roughly like that. What's in it for me? How much are you into hard negotiation and trading um, for some things? And it might be homework or it might be going to visit auntie whatever, uh, whomever, Um they will do it if they also get something in return. Is this to be exploited as part of the strategy? <laughs> well, um, constantly, I think it's if you're in it, you really do need to get them moving. There is there is value in a really good reward that's set up that they can see. Um, yeah, they're going to really enjoy. So I don't recommend money and I don't recommend just buying stuff for them. One of my key rewards around an unmotivated boy is creating an opportunity for him and his mates to do something that they significantly like, whether it's a night at the movies or a pizza night at home or it's going camping or fishing for the weekend. In other words, we, with the target is um, it's going to be something that makes him look good within his group and, and his status in the group gets improved as well as him getting a sense of enjoyment. Um, and I think the other thing underneath those two things that I probably forgot to mention is often there's an invisible sign around our, our teen, both girls and boys' neck, that says, make me feel I matter. So I think that's another one that we can feed into as well, Catherine, in that journey. So absolutely, there is a place in in, in moving inertia with rewards, but it's a really big trap because your boys will keep wanting it. 
So it's kind of got to be something that's fairly significant and worthwhile. What role does boredom play in boys' lives at this age? (laughs) I think it's like one of the sad sides of having digital natives, which is what they are, they've been raised completely as screens, is they're absolutely hopeless at boredom. So in other words, they go from instant... And of course, we've got to recognise that their minds have been manipulated by very clever people in um, Silicon Valley, haven't they? That they deliberately design stuff so that you don't ever get bored. You will, that's why some of us too endlessly scroll at times to avoid boredom. You're right, it's one of those gifts that um, unfortunately it's not seen anymore as a gift. It's seen as like problematic to avoid at all costs. Um, I really value the fact that um, it, when we do have to step up sometimes and remove all those the devices and the Wi-Fi because they've actually broken some rules or they've actually acted really, um, you know, on the third warning, that's not okay. Um, sometimes what we tend to find is boys, rather than um, <laughs> struggle with boredom, they just go to sleep. Um, we find that they've got such a massive sleep debt, um, particularly boys for some reason, um, even if they have boundaries. So quite often they just transfer boredom into going to sleep. Um, And not always a bad thing, um, but I still think that's a form of avoidance (laughs) at some level as well. So I wish us females had a brain that could go into the nothing box and go to sleep just quite as quickly as boys and men. You um, mentioned communication. What does good communication with boys look like? And do women in particular sometimes make the mistake of thinking it's like communication with girls? Oh, totally, totally huge one. Um, um, you know, I'm about to do um, a big webinar on this because it's so, there's so much nuanced stuff in there that can help your, you communicate. At, it doesn't matter whether you're a mum or a dad or a co-parent or a teacher, but there are so often we think that we can just immediately communicate with them when we have a thought bubble. Um, and so there's a couple of key messages, Catherine, I'd love to get out. And the first one is um, that eye-to-eye stuff is something females prefer much more than boys um, and men. So the 45 degrees or the 90 degrees, if you're having a conversation with a boy, um, will often not trigger their, you know, their sense of threat. It sounds crazy because when they're in trouble, we want to eyeball them and make sure that in actual fact we're actually wiring them up so much they can't hear a word we're saying. Now, the second one is timing. Um, You know, females can talk, you know, when they're doing a million thousand things and in different rooms. But what we know is that if a boy, because boys tend to be in the present moment or single focus. So for them to be able to participate in a conversation, if they're already immersed in something, we've got to get them, you know, to join us in that other space. So quite often, if they've just got out of bed, they've just got home from school, they're on their device, um, they... uh, probably wandering around with an erection they don't even notice, whatever it might be, you've actually got to work out a time that's going to give you a a good chance of connecting. And so quite often for a lot of boys, that means feed them first. Um, Create a connection with them, rub their back, you know, um, sit on their lap accidentally, do something that makes them laugh, and then you'll find you actually have got them And then you may begin that conversation and always, if you can, even if they don't deserve it, begin with some form of endearment like, hey, bud, hey, dude, or whatever it is you have in your 
then you've got more likely they're not going to disappear as well in that brain that says, hey, when you use their full name, <laughs> whoa, that brain's already disappeared into panic. I've got a couple of questions. One I'm going to ask you to perhaps talk about us another time because it's a whole topic. How does Maggie suggest teaching boys not to be misogynistic? I'm really curious about that because oh, it, comes, yeah, it, really it comes back to what's yeah. in it for me and what yeah. am I going to look like, that one, well and truly. Um, but let's have a look at this one for today. Does Maggie have a way to motivate sons who are going to tertiary education, living at home, but will not help around the house and are not keen to go flatting? In other words, they're living the dream. And living the dream. So there's a that's a really big one. So there's one, there's a couple of different ways, and that is that conversation that we have that says now you're moved from being a you know dependent and now you're technically. So I'm going to charge board. And the board um it still does not include uh, me doing endless washing. I can do some loads. So this is how you're and they'll get really upset about that. Um, and I know that, that that then is pushing them into this, now you have to grow up and be a bit more responsible. It can be really uncomfortable for a while, um, but the, you might also, um, you could tell them, but I know there's parents who haven't told their sons. They have actually kept their board money, and when they finally leave home, um, they know that there is actually money that's been saved up for if ever they get the opportunity to, you know, purchase their own place or put a deposit on something. So... Um, again, it is it is about us having that conversation that this is where we're at um, and this is the change because otherwise we're not calling them to step into manhood. And that's a really big conversation every now and then we have with our son. You know, like this is, when you're a boy, this was cool. But we want to grow you up to be a capable man. So this is why these are the things that are happening right now um, and you don't have to be happy about them and hold that ground. And at the same time, you're firm, you're still, after that conversation, you're still being the same loving parents, you still cook them the same stuff, you might even cook them their favourite dessert for a night or two. So they see they're still loved, even though you've now put down a new boundary. And Catherine, that, that question about misogyny, there's, um, I've, I've written an article that went nuts again, I wrote it last year, um, about the line in the sand. And it's a, it's a conversation that uh, talks about the line in the sand that there is one within every family according to your values that you need to start basically having with your boy preferably before his um, you know testicles drop which is anywhere around 13 but we need those conversations much earlier before they begin the journey to manhood so we're constantly talking to them about that's not respectful language and no that's not how we talk and no this is but this is give them options on how to speak around things because one of the biggest challenges I'm finding with the um, sexual harassment happening in schools, which you remember I was a high school teacher, boys would often call out things to girls, but in, in the days before the, um, you know, technology and the easy access to pornography, it was probably, hey, babe, hey, hottie, you know, things that were still trying to be funny and connect. But now it's ho, it's whore, it's even slut. And they boys can still think that's funny, but the whole landscape around it has been changed because of that access to pornography. Look, it's massive, and often you think it's not coming from a bad place intrinsically in a boy. It's coming from all the incoming. And that's yeah. where I'd be really keen to do a whole session on it, Maggie. But thanks very much for your time again. There's a link through to the webinar series uh, on Maggie's book, From Boys to Men, on our website, rnz.co.nz. That's the forthcoming series. Maggie Dent, thanks very much.